first and foremost, I hope y'all are ready because we're about to have some fun. It's the best damn Rockets podcast that ever existed. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to State of the Rockets. My name is Roosh Williams. Um, I am, if you if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's right there. I talk NBA, I talk Rockets all day on Twitter and other things as well every now and then. Um, I'm the host of the Noble and Roosh Show, which is a podcast you can get anywhere that you hear your podcast. It's uh, hosted by Ball is Life. I talk about all NBA things and me and my other co-host, Zach Noble, interview NBA players, beat writers, all that good stuff. So give that a follow. Uh, but my partner, my name is Jackson Gatlin and you can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. That's where I do all of my damage, be it rockets coverage, NBA coverage. I host the locked on rockets podcast. It's five days a week worth of rockets coverage Monday through Friday. Also do the locked on NBA podcast every single Monday. And I'm the founder of clutch city control room.com. You can be sure to check us out for tons of rockets content there, but we Roosh and myself are here as part of State of the Rockets, a brand new Rockets podcast, taking a deep dive on all things Houston Rockets. And you can get this podcast on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube at the moment. Um, and look, if you follow Locked on Rockets, amazing podcast, by the way, um, you know, you already know Jackson's formula, but here what we're going to do is we're just going to let it rip unfiltered, raw, Rockets talk to the bone. That's how we're going to get down and we're going to have some fun doing it today. We're going to be talking about some John Wall news that broke. We're going to be talking about none other than the team point guard, Kevin Porter Jr. And Is he really a point guard, though? Oh, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate right we're here, right at the top. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about Jalen Green's amazing stretch of performances and games. And we're going to cap it off by getting to some listener questions. If you hit us up on Twitter, there's a good chance we answered your question. We, we, we answered, like, I think half of them. Um, so let's get right into it. Jackson, John Wall news. Hit me with it. All right, so John Wall news here, reported by Michael Scotto of USA Today. Rockets point guard John Wall exercising his $47.4 million player option as expected. I mean, nobody's going to turn down $47 million. I, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, but there's a possibility that the Lakers and Rockets may revisit the previous discussions in a John Wall for Russell Westbrook swap this offseason. And if those trade talks are you know, don't actually go anywhere. The Rockets may actually be inclined to visit into buyout discussions with John Wall and his camp and trying to figure out what could actually take place there because John Wall's healthy. He wants to play for a team that's actually fighting for some playoff positioning, wants to, you know, play some winning basketball. And, you know, frankly, I think this is kind of exactly where we expected this John Wall situation to go, right? Roosh, like, I, don't, I didn't expect anything different. I didn't expect him to turn down the player option. That would have been an absolute, like, 180. And never, uh, never a chance he was going to turn that option no. down. Yeah, this is what I expected. I think it's weird um, because I, I, it, I don't know if you saw it. I could have sworn I saw it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I saw something to the effect of, hey, the Rockets are going to try to trade John Wall. If they can't, then uh, they expect buyout talks at some point to happen and, and to go on. And so I'm thinking that that kind of removes the leverage from Houston, right? If, if everyone knows you're going to buy John Wall out, if you can't trade him, then why would they trade for him, right? Especially if you're a contender. 
Um, or if you're a team looking to get over the hump, you can maybe wait it out until it's time for that buyout to happen. So, you know, um, it'd be interesting if John Wall is just on on the Rockets again and they and they sit him for 40 something million. I'm not sure if that's gonna happen. I have no idea. Um, I'm sure John Wall wants to get to a point where he can play. And I I think he's still got some juice left in the tank. I tweeted on tweeted on Twitter. That's a funny phrase. I tweeted on Twitter. Um <laughs> some nice alliteration there. Good job. <laughs> well, I tweeted on Twitter that the Peter no, but um, so <laughs> that a lineup of you know John Wall, Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr. Jalen at the two and Kevin at the three, uh, Alperin Shangoon, I think I said, and I don't know, Christian Wood or no, no, uh, Jabari Smith and Alperin Shangoon would be interesting. And that would be an interesting lineup just for basketball purposes, not for like tanking or whatever. It would just be kind of fun to see if that collection of talent can get anything done. But outside of that, I mean, who's going to trade for John Wall? Well, you know, I, it's, it's so weird because I, I do think that I agree with you in the sense, like if if they're kind of putting the word out there that they're planning to try and buy him out, if they if they can't consummate a trade somehow, as Roosh chugs a just monstrous amount of water for all of our YouTube viewers, but I do think it's interesting that from the Lakers' perspective, right, they're in a very precarious spot as a franchise, and this is not state of the Lakers, so we're not going to dive into all of that, but. I do think that they are faced with a really tall task of trying to reshape their image in the span of one off season to be able to like maintain some semblance of competitiveness. And it really depends on how far they're willing to cave to like LeBron's will and like what he wants to do with the organization. And I do think that if the Rockets are in an advantageous enough position to be like, if, if LeBron comes knocking on the door and he's like, I want John wall. If clutch sports is like, we want John wall in LA. Like, I feel like they have the pieces to make that trade happen. It didn't happen this past trade deadline, the wall for Westbrook swap because Palinka dug his feet in and didn't want to give up that 2027 first rounder from LA. That made a lot of sense. Now they're kind of in a position where they may be forced to have to do that. And if you're looking at it from the Rockets lens, if you can maybe squeeze an extra first round pick out of LA, now that they can trade that 2029 first round pick, I believe it is. Then maybe this is one of those situations where you think of it like two birds, one stone, you get rid of John wall, you get back some assets from the Lakers who, could be really, really juicy trade assets down the line. And you maybe find a potential suitor and a new home for Christian Wood in said deal as well. I don't know about you, Roosh, but an idea or a deal consisting of John Wall and Christian Wood out with Russell Westbrook coming back and the Rockets pick up a couple juicy late, late first round draft picks from the LA Lakers, who we don't even know what that team's going to look like down in 2027, 2029. That could be a really great haul for the Houston Rockets. Well, funny you say that. Uh, I saw another rumor today saying that the Charlotte Hornets might be interested in Russell Westbrook. So the reason I say it's funny is because another team that was interested in Christian Wood was also the Charlotte Hornets. So I don't know how the, the logistics of any such trade would work, but maybe there's a way to like finesse that, right? Russ to the Hornets, John Wall to the Lakers, Christian Wood somehow to the Hornets picks. I have no idea. That's not my not my bag. Play with the, the trade machine if you're listening and, and let me know if there's anything out there that's possible. But um the interesting thing about that is that, well, first of all, I think it's it's important to note that rumors come out from anywhere, right? And a game you need to play is trying to source who leaked what rumor. And, and you can usually do that by kind of trying to track like what reporter is linked to what, you know, the front office, the players side, the agents, whatever. And so the Charlotte news, right? It's like, who's leaking that? Uh, I don't know. The John Wall stuff, who reported that? I don't know, right? But the other thing to consider is that Russ's contract this season was tough because tough to move because it was so expensive. And then he had another year on it. I think Russ will be more tradable as an expiring contract. Um, 
And so will John Wall by that by that same token. That's true. That's true. You're right. So that's that's another thing to consider. There might be a team out there looking to dump salary and maybe the Rockets take, but that's the thing. The Rockets wouldn't want to take that salary back. The Lakers would. So because if the Rockets are going to unload wall, they want to keep that 2023 space as clean as possible, right? So they don't want to take contracts mm-hmm. back. So I, I don't see that happening. But the Lakers, on the other hand, who need to win now and do everything they can to, to keep LeBron, or so you'd think, um, they might be willing to take someone back. So that that's why I think that the Lakers will have more options than the John Wall swap, but we'll see. Yeah, the, the John Wall situation, I'm not expecting anything to like materialize overnight about it. It's... You know, it's it's honestly one of those things where like you look up sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, John Wall's still on the Rockets. Like when the Rockets played in Miami, like one of the you know, recent games you know down the stretch. And I was like seeing him on the bench, like with the Rockets team in Miami. It was so like surreal. It was almost like an episode of like Black Mirror. And you're like, what the hell is happening right now? But that's not the point guard that we want to talk about right now, because there is a point guard that's actually on the team that has been uh, under a lot of scrutiny throughout the entire season, let's face it. But especially as of late, and that is one Kevin Porter Jr., who apparently came under fire, uh, you know, after this most recent outing against the Brooklyn Nets, a game in which he had a season-high 36 points, but, you know, finished with just four assists on the evening. Roosh, let's kind of try to unpack not just this game, but just Kevin Porter Jr., you know, at large, you know, his transformation, for lack of better terminology, as a player this season, kind of embracing that point guard role. I'll let you kind of set the table on your thoughts about Kevin Porter Jr. and kind of where your head is at regarding him as as a player and as the point guard for this Houston Rockets team. Yeah, so it sucks, right? Because he's actually the last, I forget the numbers, I think it's 32 or 33 games. He's been playing really well. Statistically, he's been playing very well. 16 and a half points, six and a half dimes, four and a half boards, something like that. I think like 44, 45% from the field, 39, 40% from three on high volume turnovers under three per game. I think it was like two and a half. And that's what you want from Kevin Porter Jr. Now, I say it sucks because amidst that, right, we, some of us, including myself, I've done this as well, have not fully appreciated it because we've been focused on him playing point guard and whether or not he is the point guard of the future for the Houston Rockets. He wants to be the point guard for the Houston Rockets, which is important to note because any kind, the reason, at least for me, where where I put emphasis on that distinction is because if he's not the point guard for the Rockets, then maybe he's the small forward for the Rockets. But if he doesn't want to be the small forward and he wants to be the point guard and given how we've seen certain at certain times, he, he seems difficult to approach on a variety of matters. It gives you some concern because it's like, well, if they want to switch him, is, is he going to accept that? How is that going to work on the positive side? He's shown an ability to score the ball. He can score the shit out of the ball. He can score from all three levels. I'd like him to see, I'd like to see him get more contacts when he drives, dip a shoulder, finish with the and one. Right now, he like finesses or tries to go around or over people. And sometimes it results in misses. His his finishing at the rim has been down this season. It's been poor. I think maybe the last few games it's been better, but on the whole, it's been poor. Um, and I'd like to see him operate from the mid-range more because he can do it. He's he's a very capable mid-range shooter. He's fallen in love with the three, but hey, he's shooting the three pretty well, about 37% on, I think, six six something attempts per game. So that's been awesome to see. It's kind of Harden-esque in that, in that regard because he's just like drilling threes, four of 10 on, you know, on any given night, six of 14. He's had nights like that. It's, it's kind of impressive. Um, but that being said, I also see him pounding the ball and wasting shot clock 
and not running possessions, right? People point to assist numbers, both good and bad. They'll, people will point to his assist numbers and say four assists, that's not enough for a point guard. Or on the flip side, people will say, yo, he had 12 assists tonight. So like what? You don't think he's a point guard? And it's stupid because we get caught up with assist numbers. Um, but the way he gets them, the process, the way he processes the game, his basketball IQ, like all of that kind of stuff, when you see him comprehending and processing the game in real time, the reads he makes, like the way he manipulates the defense, it's not cerebral. It's not intentional. He's an instinct guy. He manipulates the defense by his his excellent skill and moves and ball handling and footwork, which is great. Uh, but he doesn't manipulate the defense most of the time with his brain. And when I say point guard, people like make fun of me like, oh, what you want, like some John Stockton. No, nah, I just want someone who's cere who's cerebral. Like Alonzo Ball is cerebral. He's not like a traditional point guard per se. He kind of is, but kind of isn't. But he's cerebral, right? Chris Paul is obviously like famous for how freaking smart he is and how he breaks the game down with the ball in his hands. A guy like Tyrese Halliburton, whatever. List goes like, on. Can, right? can, can oh. I po can I pose a question to you then? Do you yeah. do you view James Harden as cerebral then, and the way that he impacts the game and and, and creates for others? Absolutely. I mean, okay. his whole his whole. You, do you not? No, it's, it's not that I don't, it's just that I, I, cause we, you know, we do so much comparison of like, Oh, KPJ is like, you know, baby hard and all this stuff, right. Comparing their two games. And I just, I don't necessarily think that Harden was there at, at this earliest stage in his career, right? Like Harden didn't come into the league and, and have like this, you know, wide array of like playmaking capability at his fingertips. He like developed and grew this over time. Now that's not to say that like, I don't want to go back and if I were to go back and like compare footage of like Harden at 21 years old to KPJ right now at 21, like I'm sure we're going to find some similarities in their game, but I don't think you're going to get the same Harden that you have right now at 21. Like he grew into that role. And one of the reasons that he grew into that role and was able to like leverage his high basketball IQ is because of the, the, the physical gifts and the skill set that he had on the floor, which was, is eerily similar to Kevin Porter Jr., which is why I still have that like level of optimism that even if he's not displaying that like innate ability to you know forcibly create for others on offense, and he's more just doing things off of like reacting, right? Like he's reacting to what the defense gives him, be it either scoring the ball himself or creating for his teammates, and he's just he's not actually influencing the game, putting his stamp on the game directly. I think that he's got the tools to develop that over time. And it, it isn't necessarily a skill that you have that you either have or you don't have basically. Right. I think it's something that can be learned if that makes sense. So I agree with everything you're saying. The one thing I disagreed with, which is important is the reactionary comment. He doesn't react to what the defense gives him. He like, he just does his thing no matter what. And that's kind of the problem. Now, everything you said is right though. Can he become that? He can. My, the reason that I, don't give him the benefit of the doubt quite yet. I'm either neutral. I, I just, I flip flop game to game to being like neutral or at a deficit in terms of like, yo, do I trust his ability to become that <clears throat> part one is <laughs> becoming that is very difficult, right? Like Harden is, we're talking about James Harden who in his prime was a perennial MVP candidate and, and willed the Rockets to, you know, the Western conference finals twice. So that's that's pretty rare error, right? If Kevin Porter Jr. was to become that, he'd be defeating the odds just objectively. Uh, second is because a big part of becoming that is your decision making. And he has demonstrated that he's a poor decision maker, both on and off the court. And that when it comes time to make certain decisions, he like kind of melts and has like like lashing out moments of lashing out, right? That's the reason. If if he was a more composed 
if we just saw it, you know, he's like very like fiery. Like he makes a bucket. He's yelling. I, I always, I always watch him. He's talking, talks a ton of shit, um, which is fine. But like, he's very emotional and fiery, right? Not necessarily composed. And so that's the thing that like, when I'm watching it, I'm hoping like, yo, hopefully he becomes hardened, but I'm just doubting it at the moment because of the decision-making. Right. But you're right. I mean, also part of what, what made James Harden, James Harden was uh, Mike D'Antoni give him his credit, right? Mike D'Antoni unleashed James Harden and, and helped him like fully realize that. So um, maybe Steven Silas is doing the same for, for KPJ. I think it's way too early to tell, but, uh, but yeah, so it's like this mixed bag, right? Like the talents there, the stats are there. Uh, if you compare it to last year, he's like, obviously he's more efficient. The, t- the TS percentage for the last 32 something games is I think like, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think it's somewhere between like 57 and above. It's, it's good. Um, and that's what you want to see, right? He's and he's he's done it over the course of thirty something games. Even for the season, his numbers have gotten a lot better. He's almost at fifty three percent TS. I think he's like fifty two point eight. And earlier in the season, he was up at like forty seven or forty eight. Thirty seven percent from three. Uh, he's turning the ball over three point two times per game. So if that's down, you know, like he he's handling some of the tests well. And he is twenty one, turning twenty two in March. The issue is that he's up for a contract extension soon. And so he's a restricted free agent and the Rockets have a very like serious decision to make with him. And that's what worries me. And that's also why I'm, I'm so like focused on KPJs because I know Jalen's under contract. I know Shangun's under contract. We don't know what's going to happen with anyone else on the team, but those are the two like main guys right now. KPJ is the third one, uh, but he's up for an extension. So that's what complicates things. You know, and it's, that that's why this whole season too, right? All the way dating back to the very beginning, the whole reason that John that they tried to bench John well, not did tried, did bench John Well and you know put him on ice is because they they knew that KPJ was like on a timeline, right? They had to figure out what they had or didn't have with Kevin Porter Jr. And I think that if you go back to the beginning stage of the season and you look at where Kevin Porter Jr. is at now as a player, how he's handled the growth and development as the season has progressed, I do think you have to chalk it up to a win because the Rockets kind of, I don't know if, I, I don't know if the expression hedging your bets is like the right terminology here, but I'm going to go with it because it sounds like the right terminology. The Rockets were kind of hedging their bets thinking, all right, we know Jalen is going to like develop. We know that he's going to be like a bona fide like star. We know that we know what we got with him, right? So they kind of, I think, sidelined the importance of Jalen Green's development and didn't spotlight him the way some of the other rookies across the league, Cade, Evan, you know, Jalen Suggs, like we're getting spotlighted in their respective teams or in their respective systems because they had to focus on KPJ's development, right? They had to put the rock in his hands, let him make the, the, the decisions, let him make the mistakes, let him go through the speed bumps of trying to be the point guard for this Rockets team for a really, really young Rockets team. And at that point, it, it was, you know, pretty ridiculous in the sense of like trying to figure out, I guess, trying to figure out what they had with KPJ. And it got to a point where I think you have to walk away at least a little bit confident in the abilities that he's shown. And I know that you're still kind of like you said, you're you know kind of neutral and then also somewhat like, you know, maybe negative at times kind of flip flopping, flip flopping back and forth on KPJ. But for me, another area that I didn't get to mention earlier that I still think kind of gives me a little bit of hope or optimism with KPJ is that it's really tough to find, I think, a player who can go from being like that high level of a, of a facilitator, playmaker, creator, whatever, and then go back right into like the scoring threshold that he has. And that's one of those other like areas that is kind of James Harden-esque when you look at KPJ's game is the fact that on any given night, 
he can decide, all right, I'm going out and I'm going to rack up like 10 dimes tonight, right? We saw a stretch of the season where he would walk out and in the first quarter, every single game for like a few weeks there, he was walking out with three, four, five dimes within the first quarter. And it became like a regular occurrence where he was walking out, just trying to dime up his guys left and right. It was like a mental shift where he was like, I am going to work on getting these shots for my guys. And then there's some games where he walks out and he's like, no, I'm a bucket. I'm going to go get my, get my points. And it's very similar to kind of what we'd saw James Harden do previously in his Houston career, where some nights he'd walk out and he would just very intentionally like not even be looking for his own shot for like an entire half. And then he'd walk out in the third quarter and be like, oh no, I'm James Harden. I'll just go get like 15 in the quarter really easily. And that dynamic ability to decide I'm going to be a scorer versus I'm going to be a playmaker. That's not exactly common. And that's where I still think like he has all the tools to be such a dynamic player. And it's just about like figuring out that balancing act between doing it consistently and, and, and it within a given game, within a given quarter, within a given couple minutes deciding, okay, am I scoring? Am I playmaking? And like balancing that identity and not leaning all the way into one or the other. So I agree with you. I mean, and that's what, that's what, that's what's enticing about him is it's like, man, there are nights where this guy looks like, an, an all-star a potential all-star right the stat lines are crazy you know like let me look at those these last games since christian wood has sat i think he's i think christian wood sat starting with the san antonio game or actually i think he uh, sat i think he sat in the portland game the second portland game that sounds right that sounds right we're just gonna go with it if we're wrong then i'm sorry um so from the portland don't, don't game, aggregate us with, with our voices that we're using on this very podcast but <laughs> the uh the Portland game, the last six games, he's at Kevin Porter Jr. is averaging 25 flat a game, 3.3 turnovers, 8.8 assists, 5.8 rebounds, shooting 82.8, uh, 82.6% from the free throw line on just under four attempts, which is much, much improved to his season average of like 62%, 37.1% from three on 10.3 attempts per game, and 47.4% from the field. Like, that's ridiculous, dude. 25, 9, and 6. On 47% from the field, 37% from three, 83% from the free throw line, three and a half turnovers. That's insane, okay? And so to have that on the contract he's on is like, wow. Now, the main issue just becomes, like I said, when he's up for an extension, and, and we, I was talking to Bima Thug and, and Clutch, Clutch fans. Shout out to both of them. Um, we had a space, and, and you know, they, Bima, like, kind of explained the situation. And KPJ's up for an extension as a restricted free agent, so the Rockets are going to have to pay him real money. And that's, that's the thing. That's why the decision-making is so important. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Right. Because that, and that's, what's, I think that's what's the, what the beauty is about the restricted free agent situation is honestly, I think that the new year's day incident kind of cost KPJ the potential to extend him unless they, unless he falls out next season. Well, no, no, because the extension talks would, would happen this summer, right? Like that's, that's where the extension would happen. And so that's the extension. That's not restricted free agency. No, 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 I know, I know. So that's what I'm saying is like the extension talks have probably been like, like I think the New Year's Day situation probably just, all right, we're not going to extend you. However, I will play devil's advocate here and say they might still entertain those conversations if they think they can get him on a very team-friendly deal. Because if you think you can get KPJ locked down at like, what, 10, 12 million a year over like three or four years, maybe you take that deal and then let him roll into next season, right? And you've got him locked down under lock and key for the next three, four seasons, whatever, at a very team-friendly rate. That way, even if like KPJ falls off the wagon, right? And like the the off the court issues become a thing, whatever. That ten to twelve million is still a very aggregatable salary as far as trades are concerned. You're not like out there paying him 20, 25 mil 
And then suddenly he's off his rocker and he's like, oh, what did we do? Why did we extend this guy? But if they don't extend him this summer and they do like go through next season, one, he's going to be on a contract year. And that's kind of, I'm like very 50, 50 on contract years. Cause it's almost like it could be like fool's gold, right? Where he's on his best behavior. He's balling out. Cause it's a contract year. And like, like for, you know, rockets legend, Trevor Ariza was notorious for balling out in contract years. And then like regressing to the mean, the very next season, you're like, what the, what happened? He was like an all-star last season. And now he's playing like a regular role player. So that said, if KPJ does get to next season and if the Rockets don't extend him this summer and he balls out next year and he looks really, really good, if some team throws the bag at him in restricted free agency and the Rockets have a chance to match it, I feel like they're going to pre- feel pretty confident about matching any number that gets thrown at KPJ because the only reason a team would be throwing a number at him is because he played well. They're not going to try to throw the bag at somebody who had a mediocre subpar season. But if he plays well, like you said, he might get twenty twenty five. And that, that is the big question is, do you feel comfortable paying KPJ at that point in the Rockets rebuilding time, like 20 to 25 a season, or do you let him walk to a team like, I don't know, the Kings who are maybe going to throw the bag at the next, like, you know, halfway they, they because of De'Aaron, available on the market. They won't because of De'Aaron Fox, but maybe they, hey, maybe they want to put KPJ in the backcourt next to De'Aaron Fox. I, I, I grabbed the Kings as like a market that never gets like actual good free agents, like really like top tier free agents. Right. So they keep coming away with like the B tier free agents. And that's kind of what KPJ they, they would come be away with the C, They come away with the C tier free agents, uh, but they just traded Tyrese Halliburton. So if they're going to throw the bag at Kevin Porter Jr., that would be if, trading Halliburton and throwing the bag at KPJ to be in the backcourt would just be so weird to me. However, um, the, the downside to what you're saying, look, let me throw something at you. The type of point guard that I'm describing, that I've described, that would be like good for the Rockets, you could argue it's Ben Simmons, right? He can't shoot, but you could argue Ben Simmons next to KPJ and Jalen Green would be a lot of fun. But you know why I'm against that still, aside from the fact that Ben Simmons has all his issues and drama and and can't shoot a three to save his life? Um he would be getting paid like 35 to $40 million something like that. Right. In 2023. So I want that cap sheet to be as clean as possible. Right. Like right now it's just going to be Jalen green. What KJ Martin, um, Shingun, Josh Usman, whoever they draft this com- this summer, whoever they draft next summer. I think that's it. Unless they guarantee Eric Gordon's contract, which I doubt they would for 21 million. Um, Woods off the books, Walls off the books. Gordon don't have to guarantee him. Jay Sean Tate, I think, is up for restricted free agency at the same time as Kevin Porter Jr. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they uh, extend him this summer. Can they? I think they can. I'm not sure. They, I believe they, I believe that they can. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um. Right. So like, uh, what? Nawaba's off the. Oh, Nawaba got three. Nawaba got three. But, but the last year, I think, is a is a team option. I think. I believe so. Yes. So if you could he, look that, if you could look that up while I'm talking, please. Yeah, 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 I got you. Um, but anyways, my point is, everyone's off the books, right? So, I don't, I wouldn't want 35 something million wrapped up in Ben Simmons. And by that same token, do you want 20, 25 million wrapped up in KPJ? Now, if you extend him for cheap, the downside of that is, like, let's say 10 million dollars, let's say 12 million dollars per year, three years, 36 million this summer, which I don't think he would take, but let's just say. Um, if he doesn't pan out, right. If he continues to have these issues and he fizzles off and like, he's just a total head case, then you're stuck with 12 million for three years. And does it eat up a lot of your cap? No, but it does dig into some of it. And in addition to that, um, 
Like, what are you going to do with that? You know? So that's, the, that's the, the downside and the issue. Now the bet and the gamble is like, yo, he's, he's maturing. He's not going to continue doing this, but yo, he can't do this again. Like, like this season it happened, but if the Rockets want to become a winning team, like not the worst team in the league, if they want to become like, Hey, we're, we won 28 games or 30 games or just like improvement over season by season. You can't tolerate that culturally uh, no. because it, that's not the message it sends that you're a winning team. That's not going to attract free agents. I mean, Evan Mobley's dad legitimately didn't want, unless I, unless I got duped by ball sack sports or something. So if I did my bad, <laughs> but unless I got sacked, um, <laughs> Evan Mobley, <laughs> Evan Mobley's dad. Why did you have to say sack? <laughs> like with that inflection too. Because that's if, you, if, you, if you've ever seen the tweets, that's what they say. They're like, "Oh, you've been sacked." Like when Stephen A. Smith gets like you know sacked by Ball Sack Sports. It's actually honestly hilarious. Ball Sack Sports one time tried to get me, and they misread my tweet, and I responded to them, and they like apologized, and we like made cool on it. So that was actually pretty funny. I I I think Ball Sack Sports is hilarious. But so what you're saying is Ball Sack Sports got ruched. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Um, but regardless, Evan Mobley's dad legitimately did not want Evan Mobley to be in Houston because of Kevin Porter Jr., right? So, and because he was what an assistant on the on the USC coaching staff or whatever and was around both of them. So that's a real thing. You know, people saying, Oh, you just hating on KPJ, this, this, that. No, it's a real thing, right? Like if Jalen Green wasn't awesome and we were thinking, oh my God, I wish we had Evan Mobley. Could you imagine if, oh, we didn't get Evan Mobley because of KPJ? How stupid would that be, right? So consider that because he's – people are like, oh, it only happened, you know, a few times. It happened a few times more than it happens to anybody else in the NBA. Like that shit is not tolerated, right? So, you know, he hopped he hopped in his car and drove home. Now, I, I as someone who has like done some wild shit in the past – I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to hold his feet to the fire over that. He can mature and get better, but it's a difficult thing to do, right? Like it's not an easy thing to do to just ditch those instincts and habits to just like get buck wild when you're pissed off. So we'll see. I hope he, if he can turn the corner and play efficient basketball and then eventually learn how to manipulate defenses and like, just really like mature, like a, he could be a star. And I was one of the biggest proponents of him. But I've been dis- I was disappointed by the first half of the season. I'm I'm very encouraged by the last half of the season. He's still doing some of those things though, like not passing to Jalen Green in the clutch, and you know, boom, 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 booming, booming the shit out of the ball on possessions. You know, like yes, he dropped 36 against the Nets, and yes, it was like the tank squad with half of the payroll not playing in the game, and all of that's true. So I'm not gonna like use that game as like oh my god. Uh, but he does that in more situations than just that game in these last few games. So, like, if he can get over that and, and find that blend and that balance that you were talking about, it could be really good. I think that's, you know, the, the area, right, that you mentioned before, right, is just the him, like, repeatedly, like, pounding the air out of the basketball, like, way too much on a given possession or throughout a given game. That's definitely, like, an area that you'd like to see improve upon. I, I felt like, you know, early in the season, especially, like, he did too, way too much dribbling and at times would even, like, dribble, like, half the shot clock out and then pick up his dribble with nowhere to go with it. And that was, like, one of the most frustrating things to see earlier this season. Like, he was just so indecisive with what he was trying to do on the floor every single night and he like started to slow things down. He had the injury where he missed that chunk of time said that he was really able to go over some film. 
kind of like approach the game in a different way. And I thought, I think that time did wonders for him. And I think the time that Jalen Green missed with his hamstring injury also did wonders for him to kind of come back and, you know, approach the game from a slightly different angle, kind of see some of the things that they had been missing out on. But with KPJ and what kind of gives me again, you know, just another area of like a little bit of optimism, right. Is two things. One, he and Jalen Green, absolutely. Like they adore each other, right? Like they, they are, brothers they're bought into each other's success like all of that the way that they the way that you hear these two guys like speaking about each other they are completely bought in they're whatever the inverse is of like you know kp or evan mobley's dad not wanting like evan mobley to play here alongside kpj for whatever the inverse of uh harden and chris paul there you go or the inverse of uh john wall and james harden or james harden and a lot of his ex-teammates um subtle subtle dig at james harden here but it's okay that was that was pretty overt but yeah Okay, well, an overt dig at James Harden here. Hey, I, look, he's a Sixer now. I have no, the Sixers don't own any of the Rockets picks. And so go get that chip, James. But point is, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., I think, are bought into each other's success, right? And they're both, to me, I think, incredibly unselfish players in the sense of they're not going, like, I think either one of them would be content to go out there and rack up. Uh, you know, 12, 15 assists, whatever, if that's, if that's the case, if it means winning basketball, like they, we consistently see them making the right decisions on the basketball court, not necessarily playing me first basketball. Even when KPJ is like out there trying to get his shots off, I don't think he's going out there with the exclusive intent of I'm going to go out there and get mine. Nobody else in the court matters. I can think I he pause just sometimes, you? sure. Can I, can I pause you? I don't think you're wrong. The problem is his instinct is to do what? His instinct is to score. And his instinct is like his first so instinct is your first nature, right? It's like you're yeah. sub- subconsciously like that's what you're doing before you're even thinking. So before he's thinking, like actively thinking, because he does go out. I don't think he goes out there like, nah, fuck y'all. It's me. I think he goes out there and just doesn't realize it. Like he's like, oh, hell yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Defender. Boom, 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 boom. Shot. And it's fine. But you know what I mean? So like if it, I, I prefer, and it's a stylistic basketball thing, but I prefer the guy whose first instinct is, okay, how can I get, you know, an open shot? Like whoever gets that shot doesn't matter. Like, where's the open shot? Where's the mismatch? You know, what are they running? How should I beat that? His first instinct is who's guarding me. All right, cool. Watch this. And that's, you know, sometimes he drops 36 (laughs) and sometimes he has a 30 point triple double. Um, And then sometimes it's like, damn, we needed the right play and we didn't get it in a close game. The other thing that's that's important to mention. Well, is, well, well, because I, I had the I had the secondary point that I wanted to get sorry, in there, and the no. only the only other point was just about their relationship, right? Their dynamic is, I, I think that that in and of itself, right? If KPJ has the mental maturity to realize, hey, I'm not the guy, right? Like I like I can be the secondary guy, maybe, or I can be the tertiary guy, but like Jalen is the guy. Like the other night against the Nets, Jalen not attempting his first shot until like seven minutes into the game, absolutely unacceptable. That can't happen. You need a point guard. You need your point guard to orchestrate that and make sure that the best option, the number one option on the team gets that. And I think that this offseason is going to be critical for them to kind of come back in next season with more of a clearly defined hierarchy. Like now we know, we see this insane stretch that Jalen Green is on right now he needs to come in next season and be the de facto number one option. Like, yeah, he went through his like molding period this season, you know, the, the PJ Tucker esque role sitting in the corner for, you know, so many possessions offensively, all of that, whatever the Mr. Miyagi stuff that Steven Silas was doing to try and like, you know, mold Jalen green and get him to a point where he was like ready to be the guy. We're seeing him unleashed now at this point in the season. So next season, they need to come in with Jalen green clearly as the number one option. Nobody else is ahead of him in the pecking order. And then, the secondary and tertiary options, that's where you're like, okay, 
well, if Christian Wood's still on the roster, like, fine, maybe he's still here. He, you're the second option now, Christian. Sorry, you're behind Jalen in the pecking order. KPJ, all right, maybe you're the third option. Maybe you're the second option. I don't know. But that's the thing is their relationship leads me to believe that KPJ shouldn't ha- take an issue to taking a backseat to Jalen. And that's what I'm like optimistic about because in this stretch without Christian Wood, those two have looked phenomenal. So if you can put the right pieces around those two guys and then have like a, a guy who is like Alperin Shingun who can came, kind of maybe alleviate the fact that KPJ isn't like that cerebral, natural, like point guard on the floor. Maybe you run a little bit more of the offense through Al P and, and have your two dynamic guards out on the perimeter doing whatever. I think there's something there. I just don't know. I, I'm not like you. I'm not a hundred percent sold on it yet, which is why I'm also not ready to give up on KPJ quite just yet. Like I'm not like get him out the door this summer. Like I want to see them run it back next season with just a more clearly defined hierarchy of what the system is with ideally like Jalen number one, KPJ number two, and like, I don't know, Jabari Smith and Alpi like three, four, like whatever that looks like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, imagine Jabari Smith next to Jalen and KPJ. Jabari Smith, like, defending the perimeter, spreading the floor, providing some release valve for the offense. Alperin Shangun, and then, like, an actual big man behind him. Like, that would be fun, you know? Um, the, the other, the last thing I was going to say about KPJ is uh, he's missed – I mean, he missed some time this season. He, he, like, rolls his ankle every other game. Uh, and the injury concerns are are real. Like, don't overlook that. He kind of – got hurt a lot this season he plays he's played 59 games so if he plays the last two games he's going to play 61 games this season that's only four more than uh, our good buddy Karis Levert plays has played in his second most played games of his career not counting this season he might eclipse that by one game this season I think which was 57 games in his second season in the NBA so 61 games is uh, missing 21 games a lot um and if you're going to pay someone big money I I would like to make sure he's not injury prone because I don't think we know that yet you know He's really only played the equivalent of like an NBA season and like a, a quarter or some a half. Change, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Some change, you know? So uh, Draymond fell on him, gave him that thigh issue, which persisted throughout the season. Um, rolls his ankle a lot. So like, I kind of want to consider that as well, but yeah, man, look, him and Jalen look awesome as a one and a two as the, as the one and two option. And as the one and the two, I guess it's been fun. Put the right people around them. If Christian Wood is on this roster and he's not traded and it messes up what they just built, this like feeling and chemistry and, and, and you know, I don't know, confidence that they've built, it will be a step backwards. So I hope personally that it doesn't happen. But um, speaking of Jalen Green, though. Man, he's I mean, been balling. Like, what else can you say? I mean, he's breaking. It's like every single game he breaks a new record. Like, it's actually absurd that this is what Rockets fans kind of wanted all season long out of Jalen Green. And I do look, I, I think that Steven Silas has gotten a pretty bum rap all season long. And I think that maybe for, for what, you, for what, for a lot of things, man, for lineups, for just stuff that he His could or couldn't control. Stuck. Like, okay. Well, like, have been bad. like, what would you do differently? I mean, obviously like the double big I stuff would, at the very beginning was atrocious, I but would, then like, I From that try, point, okay, okay. First of all, yes, that was atrocious. Um, yeah, and that was almost one fifth of the season. So, like, that's not a small thing. Took him a while. Um, he hasn't started KJ Martin. He continues to play. Jay, and look, we want to lose these games. So, like, I'm not necessarily tripping. I'm just saying, from a basketball perspective, when I look at it, I'm like, that's not smart. Um, he continues to play Jay Sean Tate. You know, Christian Woods out. So, who's he playing at center? Shingun, Garuba, 
great. I like that, but Tate can't, you know, shoot. Th- and look or, or on, the, on the on the Jay Sean Tate front, right? Because this, yeah, this is, he, is, he this gonna, is a big one. It, is it? Yeah, is he going to bench Tate after starting him for two seasons? No, and that's that's no. that's the hardest part. And even if you make the argument that he should have done it earlier this season, I think that earlier this season, while KPJ was still adjusting to the point guard role, and while Jalen Green was a very fresh rookie, and obviously like did not hit the ground running the way that a lot of Rockets fans were expecting him to having that, having Jay Sean Tate in the starting lineup, albeit yes, alongside the Daniel Tice, Christian Wood, like, which I think that the double big lineup gets a really bad rap when realistically, I think it's because you had two non shooters in Jay Sean Tate and Daniel Tice that just mucked up everything. I think you could have maybe gotten away with it if you had had EG out there in place of Jay Sean Tate, right. Or a, you know, a Garrison Matthews, somebody that's actually going to space the floor a little bit, but that's just not the lineup they rolled with. And sure. Give Steven Silas all the hell in the world for that decision. But as they like transitioned away, moved away from Daniel Tice, starting all of that and stuck with Jay Sean Tate, I think a big reason for that is because he like one, you have the defensive presence that he provides Two, you have his like actual like help on bigs that Christian would like physically cannot check because how, how many times a season have we seen Jay Sean Tate kind of carry the load defensively for Ooh, Christian Wood? tomato, tomato, tomato. Okay. Keep tomatoing. That's fine. <laughs> and then it's, it still goes back. It still goes back to your point about, right. You're not going to bench Jay Sean Tate in the middle of the season. To me, that's, that's like one of those things that is like an off season type decision, right? especially for a young team like the Rockets. And K.J. Martin, I, he has come on really strong here in the back half of the season, especially with his shooting. I've been a proponent of, like, K.J. Martin should probably be, a, you know, at least in the starting discussion for the Houston Rockets next season. But that's obviously, that's not a switch that you make when you're a tanking team, when you're in the bottom of the league, and when you have the trust and that established relationship between Jay Sean Tate and Steven Silas, who's been the starter historically. Like, you don't just pull the plug on him halfway through the season, especially when you've got a losing record and you're not playing for anything. That's how you develop like a locker room issue. Potentially, but here's respectfully why you're wrong. Um, number one, first and foremost. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to escape the first and foremost, and then it happened. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to get out of it. I brought it back. Um, first and foremost, he's trying to win games. Okay. Now, I don't blame him for trying to win games for his own personal. He wants to be a head coach in the NBA. I get that. I don't want him to win games because we obviously want the best odds possible at the number one pick and no lower than the fifth pick. We all understand that, but he's trying to win games and he's playing. He's starting Garrison Matthews in an attempt to win games. Okay. Respect to Garrison Matthews. But when you're trying to win games with the roster that we're given right now, that's not a smart decision we just discussed Jay Sean Tate. Here's the other thing. If you're coaching for the future, right? Well, first of all, let's just use like normal logic. He wants to win games. Okay, we're the worst team in the league. Okay, why does he keep trying the same shit? Right? It took him 16 games to switch it up, and then he he just found his lineup and stuck with it, and they didn't – they weren't successful. So, And that links me to the final point. The final point is if you're trying to coach for the future and, and secure a job and, like, prove you're the head coach of the Houston Rockets and that, you know, this is this is for you and you deserve to be that guy, then you can't afford for next season to be bad. Right. So why not exhaust, exhaust all your options and experiment and find a winning formula now while you already are the worst team in the league so that you don't have to waste time doing that next season when you can't afford to be the worst team in the league from the perspective of Steven Silas hoping to not get canned. Right. So I don't know. And, and just from a basketball perspective, dude, like try the, try different things, but try the right things. How many times have we seen him put two non-shooters on the floor? Like, two very drastically bad non-shooters like Tate and Nuava or Tate and Tice, you know, Tate and Shingun, whatever it is, right? 
Um, and then also just the lack of uh he just doesn't seem to read games right. But I don't I don't want to rag on we, we didn't we weren't gonna rag on Silas today. I don't want to rag on Silas. I get it. I think he's done a good job of development, and I think that speaks to his nature as like a supporting developmental assistant coach. I do question his his read of the game in real time from the perspective of like making adjustments on the fly. I haven't seen I haven't seen something that that shows to me that he stands out in any given way. I also haven't seen um, game to game type adjustments that would indicate that either. And that's that's what my issue is. And look, you know, Earl Watson was in Phoenix before Monty Williams took him over the top. Mark Jackson was in Golden State before Steve Kerr took him over the top. Dwayne Casey was in Toronto before Nick Nurse took him over the top, you know, and we we respectfully probably did not know who Nick Nurse was. He was a head coach of the Vipers, but like it wasn't like, oh, my God, Nick Nurse. The Raptors got Nick Nurse. He's going to be their head coach. They're going to be awesome. Like no one knew that. Steve Kerr, I think, was announcing or GMing for the Suns or something. You know, like these things happen. And I don't think everyone should get so caught up over the coach. Coaches leave. Coaches set teams up and leave, and someone else comes in with different skills that's able to take them over the top, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I'm not, like, stuck to – like, I'm not stuck to Silas or stuck to that process or whatever. Prove it. If it's not the case, the, trust me, there will be somebody else available that can do just as good a job, possibly better. I am I am glad you highlighted at least, like, the developmental stuff because I do, like, again yeah, – He's not a shit know. coach. Like, you know, I, I rag on him, but, like, he deserves his credit. Um, But there are different segments of being a coach. Like, you know, there's developing players. There's relating play, relating to players. There's getting players to like you. There's getting players to respect you. There's being able to read the game in real time and adjusting correctly and appropriately. There's adjusting game to game. There's knowing when to put your foot, you know, there's like all these things. And he checks some of the boxes, but he doesn't check, I think, most of the boxes. So it's not like, oh, my God, Steven Silas is awful. It's just like, hey, he's done some things well. Um, but I do question whether he's the guy when the for when the time is right. I do question whether he's the guy. Yeah, whether or not he'll be the coach when the Rockets are, you know, a playoff team again or when they're winning again. Absolutely. That's that's a very like valid question to have. And I do think that it's important to remember, just like with all these rookies, right? With all these young players on the Rockets roster, this is also like Steven Silas's like first, like, well, you know, second season as a legitimate head coach, but obviously last season's a bit of a wash, just the way everything happened. But like he had a really great answer during one of the pressers like earlier this season. And I'm like blanking. I think I asked him the question, but I'm actually not hundred percent sure. I think I did. And it was like, Wait, just was, about, it, was like, our good friend? Um, what's his name? You know, our friend that has a credential. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> Drawing a blank. No, um, now I understand. <laughs> no, anyways, no, no, no. I, I basically, I asked Steven Silas about like his relationship with Kevin Porter and how KPJ's helped him grow as a coach. And, and he went on like this great, like two minute answer, just talking about the fact that he's still like trying to like find his own, like almost identity, right? Like as a coach and how things are very different when you're an assistant versus being the head coach and that there's certain lines in the sand that you can't like that you can cross as an assistant that have to be like, you know, he has to handle players differently as the head coach. Right. And that's an important like boundary kind of step for him to learn. And I do think that he's been trying to grow and, and learn and identify his like voice, like as the head coach, right? Like figuring out kind of who he is and growing into that personality. And I do think that you look at obviously last season, just 
was a wash, the whole James Harden thing to start the year, whatever, wasn't the real ground floor of the rebuild, right? That was like a transitional year. This was really like rebuild year number one. And obviously the Rockets are going to finish with potentially the worst record in the NBA for a second season in a row. But I do think that there's been spurts of growth. You see the development that the young guys have taken, all of that. And I do think you have to give credit to Steven Silas and the coaching staff for you know a majority of that, if not all of it, but a majority of it, sure. Maybe you make the argument some of these guys would have just you know had this natural progression in their game as well, but whatever. Next season is the year, right? Like next season is next season is like the deciding year for Steven Silas, right? If the Rockets come out out of the gate and they're like flat and they have another like huge losing streak to start the season and we don't see the adjustments being made and we see like the same exact story that played out at the beginning of this season, then yeah, I don't think Steven Silas makes it even halfway through the season. That said, like next year's like his legitimate shot where if we do see growth, if we see progression, if we see them like vying for a play in spot then I, I think you let you hold on to him and you kind of see like where he's going to be able to take this thing. Maybe he's still not the guy to like take them to the promised land, but next year is going to be that pivotal year to decide, is he going to be the long-term coach of the Rockets? Like, does he get like another crack at it? Or is he like out halfway through the season and they, you know, jump over to John Lucas or Will Weaver or somebody else on the roster as like an interim coach. Last thing I'll say about Steven Silas. Um, you just said that he said that he's still finding his identity. I've tweeted a lot about how this team does not have an identity in terms of a positive identity. They have negative, uh, they have a negative identity and negative characteristics about them. Also, I want to throw it in there. I'm paraphrasing because I'm remembering a quote from like midway through the season. But again, it was just, yeah, something about like more or less him talking about how KPJ's helped him with his growth and how he's still established in himself as a head coach. So paraphrasing. Okay, so quote verbatim from Steven Silas that he lacks identity. Okay, yes, it. exactly. So, That's the one. Aggregate me, yeah. please. Yeah, regardless. So, but, but, and that's what it's looked like though. Um, and that's why on one hand, you know, I got love for him. On the other hand, I mean, this is a cutthroat thing. Teams don't have years to waste like that. You know, every year that, that doesn't go according to plan is a setback, you know, and you, you either got to pull a rabbit out your hat to get that time back and, and move forward, or you got to endure it the long way. And, and that's, you know, some teams find that out the hard way. But to so. your point, I think, I think you, if you look at this year, right, with the objectives that most reasonable Rockets fans had in their mind, this year has gone exactly according to plan. Like, from what, like, nobody, and I don't think even anybody, like, in the organization would have expected them to be, like, competitive this season, right? I, I think that. Well, that, that's what I'm saying. This year, was, this year was a developmental year, right? Like it was that, this year that's was what about saying, the development of the rookies. And so I do think this this year has to be like, it, it did go in favor of what they wanted. It, to, it Like this season, you have to chalk it up as a win. And so like, even though the Rockets are the worst record in the NBA, like, and, and even though there are some question marks about this team moving forward and Steven Siles specifically, I think it does have to, you do have to give him a credit. Like this is, this is a dub because Jalen Green is now performing at an elite level. Alper and Shingun has shown flashes. Josh Christopher looks like an absolute steal. Like KJ Martin has shown growth and development. Like everybody across the board has gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. But I, that's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you. Okay. I'm saying when it doesn't go according to plan. So like so far it's gone according to plan, right? Next season, if it happens again, is that according to plan? No. And that, that, that's, that, that's that was the saying. point. Yeah. That, that, and I think we're on the same page there. That was kind of the point that I was making. No, no, just like, hey, it's next year's the pivotal clear. year, right? Right. Let me be clear. I'm not saying fire him or anything like that, but I agree with you. Next year is the year where it's like, okay, let's see that jump. Let's see some type of tangible jump that gives us confidence and, and gives us something to look forward to, right? Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green right now, they're giving us something to grab onto and say, okay, wow, I can't wait for next season when this gets even better. 
Um, Steven Silas, other than developing young guys, hasn't as an X's and O's, like as a coach, as a game manager, I haven't seen it. So, um, but we were going to talk about Jalen Green. We went off a tangent and talked about Steven Silas, which I think was actually a little more interesting because there's not much to say about Jalen Green except for the fact that he's just been kicking ass. <laughs> you know, like that's it. it was, I'll just say that real quick. He's been kicking ass, taking names. Um, I personally think he cemented his place on the all all rookie first team. Zach Lowe and Pelton, I don't even know his first name, Kevin Pelton, whatever, Raymond Felton, Kevin Kevin Smelton, go to hell, uh, respectfully. Um, first and foremost. You know, first and foremost, respectfully. But, you know, putting Herb Jones over Jalen Green on the first team, Herb Jones has been great, phenomenal defensively, um, just a great role player for the Pelicans. But, I mean, Jalen Green's like breaking rookie records, you know, so 17 a game on on – efficiency that is 0.2% less than big man Evan Mobley is like, it's crazy. So the, the Jalen green stuff has been phenomenal to see. And he absolutely, I'm, I'm in full agreement, deserves it. He should be a lock for all rookie first team. Now, but before we dive into these questions, cause I know that's where we're headed next. I got to ask you this Roosh. Do you think he has at least an outside shot right now to finish in top three of rookie of the year voting? Cause that's where I'm a little torn. No, like, no, no, yeah, he doesn't Scott, because yeah, Scotty and and Scotty have been incredible. Like, yeah, well, well, they've been incredible, but at the same time, like the if you just pay attention to how the race is being covered, it's like those three and then everyone else. That's how they're viewed. You know, you know when NBA Twitter and and all like the uh, the Vorp crowd and all that gets like their their guy like, oh my god, Jokic is you know whatever. Whenever they get their narrative, like that's what it is, and that's the narrative. It's between those three and nobody else. Um, and I don't blame them. I mean, Jalen had a, a very rough like first half. So it's a season-long award. Um, but, no, he's finishing fourth and no higher. That's tough. It's all good. I just want to make first team. All right, I mean, first team all-rookie, and we'll be happy. He could potentially lead all rookies in scoring. I think he needs to score uh, 48 points over the next two games combined, 48 points, to tie Cade, something like that. Oh, that's easy. He'll get that in his sleep. Well, I said that now and I cursed it. Like it's going to, like, he's going to like go, he's going to walk away like two of 17 over the next two games. And everybody's going to be like, it's Jackson's fault to to tie Cade at 17.3. If Cade uh, doesn't play again. So, so if he does that on like near league average efficiency as a rookie shooting guard, come on dog. That's a lock for first team. Come on. All right. Well, with that, let's dive into these questions because we got about half. First off, thank you to everybody who asked questions uh, via Twitter. We got a ton of great responses. We pulled about half of them, uh, just kind of like, you know, parsing through, picking our favorites. Uh, we definitely ignored uh, Don and Paolo, did not answer y'all's question whatsoever. So shout out to those two guys. But let's get hey, to welcome our to Houston, first. Paolo. By the time you see this, you'll be in H Town, baby. Yeah, welcome to the H. It's gonna be, we're gonna we're gonna show him a great time. Uh, it's unfortunate that we don't have the uh, Mastodon in effect here in Houston to to really show him these Houston streets. But we'll wish get I you could down be there another time. All right, wish I could be there if, if only to just be at uh, Urban South and, and have a, a brouhaha with the boys. But unfortunately, I'm on the West Coast, baby. But let's get into it. All right, so we got this. <coughs> whoa, pardon me. We got this very first question here from at Mike L Sala, and he basically asked Seawood being a part of the offense versus the offense running through him. And I think there was a bit more to this question in just in the sense of, you know, see something that I believe you've stated before, Roosh, like, you know, in the Rockets Twitter spaces on your Twitter feed, talking about Christian Wood kind of viewing himself 
as the offense running through him versus if he were on another team like Golden State Warriors or the Phoenix Suns, would he be more willing to maybe like accept a, you know, a secondary role where he's more so a part of the offense rather than being the offense unto itself? Yeah, I mean, if he would be willing to be like a third guy, if he would let KPJ and Jalen Green do their thing and he was just setting screens and crashing the basket, catching and shooting, catching and fin- uh, closing, sorry, attacking closeouts, occasionally doing his ISO thing, not posting up, not bringing the ball up. If he was doing that, dude, he would be very like potent on offense. And he is very potent on offense, even aside from that. But he would really contribute to like winning on the offensive side. But Mike, thanks for the question. However, ultimately irrelevant because he is defensively just just doesn't cut it, unfortunately, you know. Now, uh, we got our next one here. Let's see. Make sure I get this name right because this name is brutal. Um, at I'm just going to spell it out at J-O-C-X-Y-A underscore Joxia. I'm going to go with that. That sounds Jack- right. Yeah. Joxia. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what what combo of five players, possibly including the 2022 first round pick, is ideal to maximize offense and defense? So I assume we can go with like any combo of the five on the roster right now. And then I guess we're just like kind of hypothetically picking, let's say, first overall. And we'll just, we'll just snag somebody off the, the draft board. Roosh, you go first. What you got? Okay. We're going to have the exact same lineup, I call it. Or I can go yeah. first if you want me to go first. I'll I'll go. You, you I'll go. Uh, Jalen, KPJ, um, Jabari, uh, KJ, KJ, and I mean you got to get a big, so it's got to be Shangun. Maybe Garuba for defensive purposes only, but offense and defense. Um, I say Shangun. So I say Shangun, Jabari, KPJ, Jalen, KJ. Yeah. I'm uh I mean it's 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 either that version of that lineup or potentially and as I approach the NBA draft I may sway a little bit back and forth but you could swap out Jabari for Chet Holmgren and then we're talking about KJ Martin at the 3 uh which I guess Jabari and KJ are kind of interchangeable when you look at what they both bring to the table offensively defensively like both of those guys could play 3 or 4 it doesn't really matter on either end of the floor but with Chet Holmgren in that lineup specifically I mean I think that you cover a lot of size um I don't know. I just did. I just did a whole breakdown podcast on Chet Holmgren with the guy that hosts Locked On Zags, Andy Patton, and he uh, he improved he my opinion you. of Chet quite a bit. He didn't convince me. I'm still Jabari Jungle. I'm still Jabari Smith number one, but I am less worried about Chet translating to the NBA level now than I was before. From a guy who's watched him for an entire season, much more in depth than I could have ever hoped to do this past year, I feel a little bit more confident about Chet Holmgren. Um, yeah, I, I went with Jabari. Uh, I went with Jabari Jesus over Chet Holmgren because I was going with the the high floor that Jabari I think automatically would bring on the wing, versatile defender, switchable guard one through four, and still protect the rim. Not like that, not like a rim protector, but can still block some shots and and use his length to kind of make things a little bit difficult. That combined with Shingun being like a sneaky good shot blocker, um, that's where I was at. All right, let's roll to our next one. As also at uh, you know, Joxia. Thanks for the question. <laughs> um, amazing at. I think that's macaroni on Twitter actually. So like, I'm just gonna go with that. I probably just should put his like actual like title handle, whatever. Um, all right, next question from at H Town Cam, and I think we've got a couple from H Town Cam. Yeah, we got back to back ones here. So huh. let's go with this first one. Uh, is Shingun a building block slash relatively untouchable? I actually, I'm torn on this, Roosh, because. 
I think that ultimately the only player on this team that you can maybe, you know, comfortably label as untouchable is Jalen Green, especially Jaylen with how, Green. I mean, like, and even then it's like when you're this early in a rebuild, like nobody should be untouchable, right? Like, yeah, it, it so, sucks, but it's like if somebody called up and, you know, was like, hey, like John Morant for Jalen Green in like some weird, like Black Mirror-esque reality, right? Like hey, Jalen Green's not fully untouchable, but he's like 99.9% .9 untouchable. Is Shingun in that same tier? I don't think so, unfortunately. Like he's shown flashes, he's been great, and there's a lot of promise there. I don't think he's untouchable. Like if the right offer were to come along for Alper and Shingun, I think you'd probably make a deal for it, depending on what it looks like. Yeah, I, I think Jalen Green is the only objective untouchable. Um, Shingun, I think reasonable minds could differ. I I I totally agree with the people that think that he's not untouchable. Um I wouldn't say he is untouchable, but I think he's a building block, and I think he could be relatively untouchable. I could accept that. Um, I am emotionally attached to him, so that's part of it. I just think he's special. Um, I'm still rosy-eyed and, and cheeky and shit and fucking honeymoon phase with him in terms of believing in his ability to get over the hump uh, of his, like, you know, quote-unquote limitations at the moment. But – it's also very, very realistic that he doesn't. I don't think he's a sure thing. Um, I just here's believe good, in him. Here's a good test for you. Would you trade Shingun for a top four pick in this year's draft? Shit. I know that's a tough one. I, I don't know. I can't give credit. Somebody like proposed this or like a version of this, like hypothetical the other day. And I like saw it. I mean, it was one of those where I was like just mindlessly scrolling the TL and I saw it and I froze and I was like, oh man, like I had that moment where I was like, that's what made me objectively quite like because if you would, he's not. I mean, if you could take if you could take any two of Chet, Bancaro, and Jabari, and you remove Shangoon, that's. I know it's tough, and, and or, that's you, like, or you could just bring Shangoon off the bench, but I don't know. Yeah, so so it's tough though, right? And and ultimately, it's like, is he at at six nine with his athletic limitations? It's tough. But I just think he's smart and he's a sneaky good shot blocker and he's still so young. Um, and I think he could hit 6'10, maybe 6'11 if he like really grows. He needs that, that, he needs that Ryan Hollins growth spurt. Yeah, we got to get him some collagen and some turmeric and some, you know, whatever's in all those drinks that people drink to boost their systems. But, anyways, I don't know. All right, let's go to our next one from H Town Cam. Uh, he gets to double dip here. Uh, why does Garuba get such, li such little love? I'll, uh, easy because he looks awkward um I, I believe in him like i think he's smart and i think he knows how to use his skills and he's he'll be a very like valuable role player but he just looks awkward when he runs um when he gets beat off the dribble when he looks slow sometimes like it just looks bad his shot looks awkward you know he doesn't have like offensive skill at the moment like he just looks awkward so people kind of write it off he also just hasn't gotten enough run this season, right? Like, it's unfortunate, but he was always going to be the developmental guy. Like, and I think to his, to an extent, like, LP was also going to be kind of a project this season. And then they hit, kind of hit the ground running. They were like, oh, this guy can, like, play, play. And they even, like, altered their timeline plans by shipping Daniel Tice out to make more room for Alper and Shingun in the rotation. So Usman Grubo is always going to be the guy that needed to go spend some time at the G League, really, you know, refine his game. His offensive game is, like, just so raw. Like, he he needs so much work on that end. You see the flashes defensively. I'm really optimistic about his role. And so is Steven Siles. So is the organization. They are very, very high on what he can bring to the table. Anytime you hear them talking about him, they want him to understand, like, he has a place on this team moving forward. They just got to, like, you know, kind of, round out some of the rougher edges of his game but let's go to our next guy appreciate the questions cam 
go to our next question here uh, from at Russell Wing. How will we get playing time for all these young players? Six first round draft picks plus KJ need playing time. Yeah, that's, I mean, half the roster. Uh, I have no, honestly, I have no idea. That's the crazy question. That's also why if you want to keep Christian Wood, consider like it's it's logistically going to be difficult um maybe that second maybe that brooklyn pick goes to the g league maybe garuba goes to the g league yes but um at some point like you need to consolidate is what needs to happen like i don't think it's real like it was already crazy to me that the rockets made four first round picks in this past year's draft i was fully convinced they were going to try and package a couple picks and like move up and i guess technically they sort of did um actually i apologize because going into the draft right they didn't have the 16th pick for for uh, Al P they had the two late twenties and the number two, I was convinced they were going to package those two late, late, late first and like come in and, you know, move up in the draft somehow. And they wound up packaging some of their future assets to do that. They need to consolidate in the worst way this off season. And that means probably moving on from Christian Wood. Like I would be, I I'm honestly, I'm going to be shocked if Christian Wood is still here next season. I will be because I think they've like, especially it depends on their draft pick. Like if they pick up another big, if they pick up one, one of the three bigs in Jabari, Chet, or Paolo Bencaro, then I think that's a telltale sign like Christian Wood's out the door and they're going to like completely buy into the youth movement, all of that. But they've got to do something to consolidate some of these assets because, I mean, Russell, you're right. They don't have enough playing time for all these young guys on the roster. It's just impossible at this point. Last thing I'll say about this, that question and how difficult the answer to this question was is also why trading Eric Gordon for that like late, first round pick in this draft is like what would they have done with that like realistically honestly what would they have done with that um maybe trade it for something trade it for what you know so consider that all right we got our next question from at the coach wells does falling to the number four pick automatically mean we have to pick Jaden ivy uh i'm gonna say it absolutely does not mean that like because while there's a very clear cut like top four and it's a top four draft for sure I think that there's a very realistic possibility that one Shaden Sharp could be like the he could be like the Scotty Barnes of this year's draft, where maybe there's a team if they fall at number four that gets. I mean, you could even see Shaden Sharp maybe going to like number three or something. Like it's there's a lot of hype surrounding him, and he could very well be the guy that like kind of jumps, right? and even potentially like an AJ Griffin type could be the kind of guy that maybe jumps over a Jaden Ivy or maybe even a Paolo Bencaro, depending on who those first four teams are on the board. So number four pick does not necessarily mean, oh, you're just getting Jaden Ivey because those other three guys are not in my, in my eyes and many draft experts eyes, not like directly above him in the draft pecking order. And somebody else could jump into that top four, which maybe means that one of those other three prospects do fall down to number four and you kind of get your pick of whoever's left. You could also trade the four, maybe slap a Christian Wood on, maybe slap an Eric Gordon on with the four, trade back um, and get like a player that you want in return for a team that really sees star potential in Jaden Ivey and says like, yo, we're making this move. We're going to get in our guy. Jaden Ivey's our guy. And Houston's the team that completes that trade. So I I wouldn't rule that out. Um, Total guess, but it's possible. Yeah, if, if they if they were to trade away from the top four, even if it means like not like at that point, I, I'd be... I'd be very disappointed if they traded away from a top four pick, even if it is Jaden Ivy, because the idea of a Jaden Ivy, like think about a three man lineup of a Jaden Ivy, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. You put KP, you put KPJ. I don't think that works. I think you, no, I look, mean, look, look. Do you go best talent available? Yes, but they're all scoring guards, you know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit more high on like Ivy's like actual like creation ability, um, and I think that, that does kind of made. Work. Can you like clip that? 
It was like a, no, I don't want to. I don't know what that I, sound was. Have you ever seen the South Park movie? Yeah, I have. <laughs> when when they're like, dude, it sounds like a dying giraffe. Uh, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try and find it. And I'll clip it later. My goodness. This is this um, is already going off the rails. It's a good thing we've only got a handful of questions left. Yeah, um, appreciate the question from, uh, from Mr. Wells there. Let's go to our next one here from Hot Ham Water. What a handle. Love that. Um, how much should Rockets players not name Jalen Green impact who gets drafted? Zero. Zero. Honestly, to an extent, Jalen Green shouldn't even impact who you draft. You take the best player available. I think maybe because Jalen is showing that like franchise cornerstone potential, you kind of take him into into account a little bit, but you shouldn't be taking anybody into your on your roster into account when you're looking at top prospects. That's just not how it works. You take best player available, best talent available, and you figure out the pieces later on. So, yep, yep. All right, let's go to our next guy here from at Mr. J Sizzle. What's Tate's future slash role going forward? Oh man, this would have been good when we were debating Jay Sean earlier. <laughs> yeah, so well, yeah, so I think he should go to the bench on a winning team. He should go to the bench. I mean, I love everything about his game, but it's just suited for a bench role. He can't play power forward at six foot four without a three point shot. It just can't, you know, you see what happens and it doesn't really work. Um, defensively, he's great, but. The, the offense, the lack of offense or the lack of offensive fit, I think marginally or actually significantly outweighs the defensive impact that he has on a poor defensive team, you know, and he's part of the reason we get beat up inside because he's our four, you know, so not only do we not have an actual five, but he's our four at six foot four. So it was just doubly small. So I think he's got to be a bench bench player and he could really thrive off the bench and, and fortify the bench so that they're not so young and like kind of loose with it but um but yeah bench yeah he could be that stabilizing force kind of off the bench biggest thing this season for me was like he's got to like iron out the three-point shot and he didn't do that right and you look at you know the guy down the bench who's his you know sub off the bench in kj martin and kj martin has stabilized that three-point shot to a place where it's like respectable and defenses actually actually have to account for him and they don't do that with jay sean they just ignore him on the three-point line it's unfortunate for everything that he brings to the table but he's an undersized four he should realistically be a three, but you can't be a three that's shooting 30% from the three-point line unless you're surrounded by two guys named like Steph and Clay. Like that's that's the only situation where he could like potentially go and thrive with his shooting percentage the way that it is. He's so, shooting 30.8% yeah. from three this year. He shot 30.8% from three last year. It's crazy how stats work themselves out. Um, but yeah, and <laughs> lastly about KJ, KJ finishes above the rim. So like he's an the undersized four. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, and vertical spacing. He's an undersized four, probably a three. In real, in, you know, in reality, however, even at the role of a four, he can at least like get an offensive rebound and finish it with authority. Whereas Jay Sean Tate does that like pirouette hook stuff, and you just give up give up easy buckets like that sometimes. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next one from at Pine Tar Spin God. These are some incredible handles. How long do you think the Rockets stick with KPJ at point? I think we kind of hammered this out earlier. I think it's at least maybe not through all of next season but I think they're going to roll with him to start next season at the very least. Maybe if it's a dumpster fire, they move on from it like at the deadline or like change gears at the deadline. But I have a gut feeling that they're, they're trying to keep KPJ um, unless he, you know, goes off the rails next season. But I, I think they're invested in him. At least yeah. that's just what it looks like. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's go to our next one from good friend at red 94. My favorite player has been racking up a ton of assists. Does this mean he's a great point guard? 
and I couldn't fit the rest of the line in there, but he said, I'll hang up and listen. Roosh, I think this one's directed to you. Um, I think I talked about this somewhat earlier, but yeah, dude, just because you have assists doesn't mean you're a point guard. Demontis Sabonis has a ton of assists. He's not a point guard. You know, like assists really aren't that hard to get in the NBA because everyone can shoot. You just got to hand the ball to someone that can shoot and because they give you two, sometimes three dribbles from the three-point line or wherever to the basket before you score also counts as an assist. So sometimes like someone will literally hand the ball to Jalen, he'll make a move and it's an assist, you know, like, okay, congratulations. It's it. what makes you a point guard. Like I said earlier, it's how you process the game, how you, it's like a quarterback. You know, I said this, I think in a space, uh, when Peyton Manning, Tom Brady get to the, the line of scrimmage, they're looking at the defense and saying, Oh, this is what they're running. And this is how we're going to beat them. And that's what I want for my point guard. You know, you can have a point guard that's athletic and can, sprint for the first down and the defense can't defense can't catch up with him and he makes incredible plays and like hits his check you know the the crazy highlight plays has crazy like long touchdowns all that shit that exists but at the end of the day when you want to win you want that quarterback that gets to the line of scrimmage and says oh i know what the defense is running watch this and right now i don't see that from kbj um not to bring it back to i guess he didn't mention kbj but yeah but he could, he could develop it but that's what makes a point guard game okay, management game management there we go i love it i love that we're like mixing sports here we're gonna do state of the texans is gonna be our next rollout um you know look for that next uh next year no i kid we don't want to talk about the texans like that you so Astros. <laughs> there we go hey i mean that's that <laughs> at least one team's gonna hopefully do something good this season so all right let's get to our next question from at ca underscore joey in reality if we want to move on from kpj who's an active available point guard the rockets could target to fit green's timeline Honestly, if I'm like trying no. to canvas like off the top of my head, I, that's that's the thing is one I did, I don't have like the active research off the top of my head to like think of like who's a guy. I mean, because realistically, G, Jalen Green's super young, right? Like, if you want to like a point guard to fit his timeline, go draft Jay Nivey. Like, that's the thing is they. I think that KPJ is the best bet right now, right? Like, there isn't necessarily a better option right now to like go and source this offseason and be like, we're gonna pull in a guy right now. I think that. You, you stick with KPJ, you kind of see what you have working there because you're still in this timeline where Jalen's still kind of developing, right? Like it's still his rookie season. Give him next season, give him like one or two more seasons kind of under his belt to get up to kind of where you think not his floor is going to be, but to really start to like kind of realize his potential at the NBA level. Like you look around the league, Ja, uh, Trey Young, Luca, like all these guys start to kind of really hit their stride like that, like junior season, like their third year in the league. Let Jalen get to that point, and then you can maybe start looking around the league and be like, okay, who are we going to pair with this guy in the backcourt? Because, like, KPJ hasn't worked out, whatever. Like, who are we going to pair with this guy to really, like, take this backcourt to the next level? So I don't think it's necessarily a worry to, like, look around right now and try to find who makes sense to pair with K or with Jalen because right now it just doesn't matter. And that's, an ar that's another argument in favor of keeping KPJ. It's like, do you have another solution? So no. So why would you cut him loose, you know? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I don't know of anyone available that would fit right away. Also, you know, superstars like Jordan, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, I think, um, LeBron, they didn't come into the league with like their running mate, you know, um, and definitely not their point guard. And so Jalen's situation is a bit unique in that it could be KPJ. And maybe like that could be like the craziest little marriage the Rockets pulled. Like three, four years from now, it could look like the, the dopest shit the Rockets pulled off since James Harden, you know, that backcourt. Or it couldn't, you know, I don't know. But um, but no, I don't know of anyone available that would 
fit the bill. Because that, that's the problem is anybody who is available that would match the timeline realistically is part of the timeline of the team that they're on, right? There's nobody that's really like out of if, favor with their current team that's young enough that would pair well with Jalen's timeline. If it was, they would have thrown a bag at Lonzo or they would have entered the Tyrese Halliburton sweepstakes or they would have traded for Ben Simmons, but I don't think they're high on Ben Simmons, clearly. Um, so yeah, yeah, no one's available right now. Maybe someone will become available. All right, let's go to, we got three more here. Let's get through these. Which draft pick offers the most rim protection and isn't under 200 pounds from at Rocket for Life? Uh, this is an easy one. Obviously, this is a shot at Chet Holmgren, who I'm a little bit uh, more savvy on now. But uh, Jalen Duran, he's like, if you want a shot blocking rim protection big, like Jalen Duran is your guy. And then not only that, but... Um, Walker Kessler and Mark Williams, Walker too. Kessler. Yeah, Walker Kessler was going to be my other guy. And I do think that, like, realistically, one of those guys is going to be available by the time the Brooklyn pick is on the board, I think. Um, I would It would be an absolute dream scenario if Jalen Duran is somehow still there. If he, like, falls, I don't think he's going to fall out of the top 10, though. Kessler is a bit more realistic, and I wouldn't. it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for me if the Rockets were to, like, try to, like, maybe package that Brooklyn pick and like move up a little bit higher in the draft to a team like maybe like Portland, who has a couple firsts that they're like sitting on. Uh, if they're really high on like one of those guys specifically, if they really want Duran, if they really want Kessler Edwards or something, maybe package up a little bit and, you know, float a Christian Wood trade package or a Jay Sean Tate trade package to try and move up in the draft a little bit, something like that. I Consolidate Mark, some of those assets. I think Mark Williams and Walker Kessler, one of them will be available with the Brooklyn pick, I think, unless, unless it falls to like, I don't know, 17 or something. So. All right, this is going to be a quick one. Uh, Jalen Green over under 25 points per game next season from at T-I-S-S, T-I-S, Sports Guy. There we go, Tiz Sports Guy. Um, I'm going to go easy. That's that's under. Um, yeah, under. I think uh, I think he'll put up like 21 a game. I thought that he had a shot to maybe break like 20 a game this season just because like we were really like hype on him coming in and maybe, I, you know. They would have given him the shots. He probably would have. He probably, you know, you're right. He probably would have, if he had gotten like kind of this level of like free reign, like earlier in the season. But I also think that, you know, it goes back to one of the points earlier about like Steven Silas and the development with the guys just, you know, I think things would have maybe looked a little bit more rough around the edges, a bit more of a train wreck at times. And he probably still would have gotten to this point, but I don't think it would have looked as fluid as it does now. Cause it's like, he just like, I wasn't complaining. He got, he got the keys to the car and it's just, he started driving, man. It was great. It was yeah. great to see. Anyways, I'm going to, you said, you said he's going to do what? 21 a game. I think he's going to do like 21, four and three next season. That sounds about right. I'm a, I'll, somewhere around there. I think he's going to, I think he's going to average at least 20 next season. I don't think he's going to hit 25 though. Like, so somewhere around 20, 22, like in that range sounds about right. All right, let's go to our final question here. Who would y'all like to see starting at the three and four next season from Alexius Diaz? We kind of already answered this a little bit, but I think that you and I both Roosh, were kind of like on the KJ Martin train. We're like, he should he should absolutely be in the starting conversation for the Rockets next season. I think at probably the three spot, if anything. Well, it says the three and the four, so I would say KJ and uh, maybe Jabari. I know that's that's where I was like when we when we rolled out like our our like you know lineup from earlier, right from that other question. You know, we both kind of went with the Jabari lineup. I kind of hedged a little bit and said and said Chet maybe, but. I think that I think it's very entirely dependent on who the Rockets draft. But again, I, unless they unless they walk away with Jaden Ivy, man, I think Christian Woods out the door. Because how are you going to take a Paolo or a Chet or a Jabari? Uh, Jabari is the only one where you could like slot him at the three and then still roll out like C Wood and Al P at the five. Because I do think that 
Alperin Shingun is going to start next season. There's no way that they pull him off the bench again. Like the only reason they did it this season is because they had to adjust they had to move on from Daniel Tice. And now they've shown like Alpi's shown what he can do. If Alpi's benched to start next season, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be like, I'm going to go like scorched earth because that can't happen. He needs to be starting next year. And it Christian would probably need to be gone. At the three and the four, it could even be KJ Martin and uh, Paolo Bancaro. It could. Like it, like any one of those other guys could be like the starting four. Jabari could be the three, but that's why I think like Christian Wood is like his days are numbered. And I think a big part of that is like they benched him, right? They benched Seawood and the vets, right? They include they didn't include Seawood with like the young guys, right? They didn't keep him out there with the, the other young guys. They said, all right, he's benched. Jay Sean Tate, on the other hand, is still playing. And I think that may be a sign as to where they kind of view him in the role of like how he fits into this rebuild. Well, Maybe not necessarily as a starter moving forward, but just a part of the core, if that makes sense. So I'm going off my memory here, so I could very, very well be wrong. But I think Jay Sean Tate's a restricted free agent at the same time as Kevin Porter Jr., which means if that's correct, then I think they could extend him this offseason or um, or they're going to offer – or they could – you know, do the same thing with KBJ and basically field any offers that come in. So it's like, how much do they want to spend on Jay Sean Tate? What would Jay Sean Tate command on the market at like 27? I don't know, 26 or 27, whatever he'll be. Um, so that's an interesting conversation as well. Cause you're, if you're saying they, they view him as a part of the core, maybe they try to get it done this off season for, for, you know, like three or three to 5 million or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what Jay Sean Tate's worth, honestly, but um, team friendly deal, probably somewhere around the MLE. I mean, I don't know the, the shooting percentages. But I don't know what's his market value, right? But that actually kind of wraps up all of our questions. Um, you want to take us home, or you want me to take us home? Uh, let's let's do it as a team. As a team, all right. I love that. I love that let's idea. You go first. Uh, back to South Park, like Jimmy. Come on, just come on. Um, <laughs> we can take this home together. Never gonna done. So, hey, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, you can catch Jackson Gatlin on Twitter at JT Gatlin. You can catch me on Twitter at Roosh Williams. That's Roosh rhymes with swoosh, R-O-O-S-H, dollar sign with an H like the city that we're from, ends in Williams. Noble and Roosh Show is my other gig that I do. Um, already talked about that at the beginning. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. Locked on Rockets for Jackson Gatlin. Thank you for tuning into the State of the Rockets. We went really long here, actually. Uh, this is the longest pod I've done in a minute. So it was fun, though. Uh, we appreciate everyone watching. and. Listen, this is going to become the premier podcast for the Houston Rockets. And I'm really excited to be doing this with Jackson. And I'm excited for everyone that listens. So we appreciate you guys. Jackson, any last words? Last words are just, yeah, thanks for tuning into the show. This was the first ever episode, first ever edition of State of the Rockets. Had a ton of fun chopping it up with my guy, Roosh. Whenever we get to talk hoops, it's always a blast. Um, Thanks for supporting the show. If you checked it out, if you got made it all the way to tail end, we went probably a little bit longer than we planned to, but we, you know, fell down some rabbit holes. We got into some interesting discussion points and that's just kind of what we wanted this thing to be was just, you know, sit down, talk a little hoop, go wherever the conversation takes us. And that's exactly what I think we accomplished here as well as answering. Uh, we tried to answer as many questions as possible. There were a lot to kind of get through. Like we got about half Twitter. Yeah, we, we went through a, a big chunk of them, but, uh, we appreciate you checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider dropping us a subscribe on either Apple or Spotify. Hit the little subscribe button. Check us out on the YouTube channel. So search State of the Rockets on YouTube. Go to the YouTube channel, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Let us know what you thought about the video in the comments. We'll check out those. We'll respond to as many of them as possible. Um, but Follow yeah, let's do it. 
Follow on Twitter. There we go. That's right. We got the uh, Twitter handle at State of the Rockets. Good call, my guy. I think it's I think it's State of Rockets on Twitter. It is State uh, State of Rockets. That's right. There were too many characters in State of the Rockets, so it is State of Rockets. There we state go. State of Rockets. And hey, until the next time, we appreciate y'all. Go Rockets. Or double. <laughs> <laughs>